Welcome to Catholic Confessions. Hello, it's Edith here with you again. Thank you for listening in to today's podcast titled Can Church Teachings Change? Okay, so I'm going to start with something hypothetical. Okay, let's say I'm not a Catholic and I see that you are Catholic and I ask you this question. Okay, so last year, Pope Francis changed the church teaching on the death penalty. So if this teaching can change, then why can't the church change her teachings regarding homosexuals, for example? If I were to ask you this question, what will your response be? Will you be staring at me, open-mouthed and speechless, which I think would be a likely reaction of uh, many Catholics when their faith is uh, being challenged? Okay, so to help you respond in a more informed manner to such questions, okay, we have um, Nick Tree with us, President of Catholic Theology Network, to help to give us a bigger picture of how Catholic doctrine is like, how it works, and to answer the question whether they can be changed. Okay, uh, thank you, Edith. In answer to your question, uh, do Catholic doctrines change? Yes and no. Um, at the Second Vatican Council, uh, Pope John XXIII uh, made a very famous opening statement. He says the following, The substance of doctrine is one thing, the way it is formulated is another. So he, he gives an, an example of why yes, why no. Doctrine should not change in substance, but it, it can change in the way it is expressed. Uh, so for example, uh, in the letter to the Hebrews, we say that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So that seems to imply that Jesus cannot change. And therefore, Christianity, what it teaches and so on, cannot change. But curiously, we know that that statement cannot be taken in a literal manner because uh, Jesus changed. Jesus was a baby. Later on, he was a teenager. He was preaching, he died on the cross, he rose from the dead, and he ascended into heaven. Jesus changed. However, what did not change was Jesus' identity. From birth, to teenager, to death, and resurrection, he remained the Son of God. Truly God, truly man. So if we understand change in the context of the person of Jesus, then yes, there are certain things about the Catholic faith which cannot change. Its identity as the bride of Jesus Christ. There are certain things, however, which can change. As Jesus himself grew in knowledge and understanding, the church can grow in knowledge and understanding of Christ throughout the years. Let's take, uh, for example, um, this is from actually uh, Cardinal John Henry Newman. He considers ideas as living things you are in a meeting for example you have a particular idea you share your idea everybody else starts discussing your idea and by the end of the meeting usually your idea has been enriched it has developed in a certain way you have seen things which previously you have not seen you have made connections which previously you have not made Ideas are living things. Church doctrine are ideas. They are also living things. They are living in the minds of Christians. When this idea is bounced off each other, the ideas themselves also develop. And the conversation should happen across space with other people and also across time with Christians in past ages. 
So that is how change happens. And in fact, to change is to be living. If you are dead, you cannot change. But a living thing will also know what not to change, what is harmful for itself should it change. So it is really a matter of discerning between change as understood as growth and change as understood as mutation. We are all for growth. We are not for mutation. Okay, so I think it is um, important for us to be very clear about our concept of change and how we understand it because I guess a lot of us, we are looking for a very kind of like concrete, you know, yes or no, either or, it can be, it can only be this or, or that to define change. But it's really, it's more important to understand the development of church doctrine rather than just uh, simply a very simple matter of uh, change on the surface only. Okay, so Nick, can you give us some examples okay, of uh, events or examples of uh, change that you're talking about okay, in church doctrine? To cite in one example, uh, the person of Jesus Christ. For example, in the New Testament, uh, St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians it declares Jesus is Lord. One statement, one creedal formula. However, if you look at the Nicene Creed, uh, it has expanded very much from the simple Jesus is Lord statement. Right now, we say in the Nicene Creed, I believe in the one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, consubstantial with the Father, God from God, and so on. So, Certainly, when you compare the two statements, Jesus is Lord versus the Nicene Creed, you see change. But you also see continuity because it is a development from the idea of Jesus is Lord. If Jesus is Lord, is he then equal to the Father? Yes. But is he the Father? No. He still remains a distinct person. If you wish to use the Greek terms, actually the dispute is over the word consubstantial. In Greek, the word consubstantial is homoousios. And those who are arguing against the word Arians and so on believe that Jesus Christ is not of the same substance as the Father. He is simply like the Father. They say, no, uh, I would like to use the word not homoousios, but homoousios. With one letter I, you get heresy because homoousios refers to like the father, not of the same substance. You can be like someone, but you are not exactly equal to someone. And because of this dispute, greater precision became necessary. And hence, we have the Nicene Creed. So this is one example, at least from the point of the identity of Jesus Christ, of change in Catholic doctrine, uh, the struggle between change as growth, as reflected in the Nicene Creed, homoousios, and change as corruption, as uh, reflected in what Arius would propose, homoousios. Okay, do you use a second example this time round from uh, mo the church's moral doctrine, not so much its Christological doctrine, is the idea of slavery. Uh, if you read the Catechism today, slavery is considered an intrinsic evil. Uh, it is uh, wrong under all circumstances to enslave somebody else. But slavery, if you look at the New Testament or the Old Testament, seems to be accepted as an institution which everybody practices. So how do we then account for the difference between the modern-day catechism 
and what seems to be the case in the Bible. One passage which, has, which can be helpful and which the Catechism itself cites for the reason for its, so to say, change in its thinking about this issue is actually St. Paul's letter to Philemon. If you read this very short letter, very often we miss it, uh, St. Paul is actually talking to Philemon, a slave owner. His slave, Onesimus, is now with St. Paul. He ran away from his master, Philemon. What does St. Paul do? St. Paul writes to Philemon and says, I will be returning Onesimus to you. Please treat him as a fellow brother in Christ. St. Paul didn't challenge Philemon's right to own Onesimus, but he says, treat him as your brother in Christ. The idea is that whether a person is an owner or a slave, they are equal in the eyes of Christ. They have spiritual equality. On that basis, it took a while for not only just the church, but for society at large to recognize that from this notion of spiritual equality, there should come physical equality, financial equality, and uh, political equality. That idea took some time to develop, but that idea was first based on the idea that they are equal as brothers in Christ. So this is an example of how uh, the church grows in its understanding of what was already given. Okay, thank you. So coming back to the death penalty, the question that I posed at the beginning of this podcast, how should we make sense of this change? How should we um, explain it that this change is in no way changing the substance of this um, teaching on death penalty, but it was rather a development? Okay, uh, the paragraph, uh, catechism paragraph is uh, 2267, and um, Pope Francis has recently revised paragraph. Uh, the previous paragraph uh, says the following, traditional church teaching does not exclude recourse to the death penalty. However, in today's context, the need to use the death penalty is rare, if not practically non-existent. So this is uh, what the previous paragraph says. In the, the revised paragraph introduces the idea that the death penalty is inadmissible under all circumstances. That seems to suggest a break from past teaching. However, the Catechism is careful to use the word inadmissible. Something can be permitted but inadmissible at the same time. For example, it is probably not in itself wrong to ride on the road at 180 kilometers per hour. However, because of Singapore's context, it is inadmissible under all circumstances to ride 180 kilometers per hour on roads. So likewise, you, you make the differentiation between what in itself is not wrong, but in this specific context, it is problematic. If you understand it in that sense, then uh, the current revised catechism is a development from what was there previously. Previous catechism's paragraph was that the death penalty can be used in rare if practically non-existent circumstances. Almost all circumstances, the death penalty is not necessary. The revised catechism makes the prudential judgment right now in the view of the church in all circumstances, the death penalty is not necessary. Can things change based on the circumstances? In this case, it is possible. 
So the principle of the death penalty being not in itself evil is preserved. Okay, Nick, uh, you mentioned just now that the Pope made a prudential judgment. So could you explain what that means? Sure. I guess we can differentiate between a prudential judgment and a doctrinal judgment. A doctrinal judgment is something which cannot change regardless of the circumstances or the situation. So for example, abortion is an intrinsic evil. Uh, that will not change. No Pope can change such a doctrine. However, how do you fight abortion in today's circumstances? Uh, that a Pope can give his what is known as prudential judgment. His judgment based on circumstances. And circumstances by definition will always change. So a Pope, he can offer a judgment, but uh, circumstances can change. And perhaps his judgment may not be uh, all encapsulating, may not capture every single situation. So a Catholic on the ground in his particular country, for example, will have to agree with the Pope that abortion is evil under all circumstances, but may disagree with the Pope on how uh, precisely to combat abortion in his particular society. So that's what we mean by prudential judgment. So in the case of the death penalty, uh, the Pope has said that the death penalty is inadmissible under all circumstances. That is a prudential judgment. Uh, if a Catholic were to disagree with the Pope, uh, the Catholic believes that there are still certain circumstances which, which the death penalty is permissible, uh, then he would not, because of this disagreement, be uh, out of communion with the Pope. Like for example, uh, Cardinal Ratzinger actually issued a, a document to clarify this issue. In one of his, uh, his letters to the Bishop's Conference in the United States, he makes it clear that uh, in the case of abortion and euthanasia, if a Catholic who, uh, disagrees with uh, the Holy Father on these issues in terms of its uh, doctrinal content, he would be out of communion. But if he disagrees with the Holy Fathers on whether the war on Iraq is uh, justified or not, that in itself would not make him out of communion with the Pope because the Pope is, uh, in the case of whether uh, the war in Iraq is justified, is making a prudential judgment. Thanks for the explanation. So I think it's uh, important for us to be clear about the distinction between prudential and doctrinal judgment. Um, let's say if you read reports of something that the Pope say, said or the Archbishop said, then we we should, shouldn't just immediately jump to the conclusion that, oh, sh should we agree or not agree, but is to be clear about what kind of um, a statement is that. Okay, Nick, so we have gone through a couple of examples of how church teachings have developed over time. Could you summarize some key ideas that are important for us to take note of? Sure, I guess in, in a nutshell, I can say three things. Uh, the first thing is that Catholic teaching cannot change in substance, but can change in the way it's formulated because uh, people will reflect on it in a deeper fashion and may find a better way to formulate the same Catholic teaching. And uh, secondly, should Catholic teaching change, uh, not in substance again, but in the way it's formulated, it should not be because it wants to follow the fashion and conform to the world. Rather, it, it changes because it wants to conform more deeply to Jesus Christ. And therefore, uh, all of us actually Catholics have a role to play in this play of ideas because ideas are living ideas they jump from one mind to another and from there they develop uh, the difference between catholic understanding of this is that we have a referee the referee is the magisterium the popes and the bishops who will make definitive judgments 
with regards to uh, whether the ideas bouncing among uh, laity, theologians, etc. Uh, meets the requirements of being the same in substance as past teaching or different in substance. So we have a role to play. It is important to think deeply about our faith. Thinking deeply about faith is a virtue and this, this can be a unique contribution in, you can say, the age of an increasingly educated laity. Okay, thank you, Nick. So just a final encouragement that as Catholics, uh, we might perhaps have grown overly reliant on the church as even though that they are the authority, but we have reached this, the stage where we're just waiting, we're just passively waiting for them to pass down information to us to be spoon-fed, perhaps. So just a reminder to really make more effort to think about our faith. So thank you for joining us for this podcast and I hope to see you again. For more confessions, do check out our website and Facebook page.